Welcome to the Swim is Cancelled podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Christina Roberts, owner of Enflight. Welcome to episode nine of the Swim is Cancelled podcast. <sighs> episode nine. I've actually recorded this opening a few different times. Each recording I'm not happy with, I cut my sentences short, I delete everything, I take a deep breath, I start over. I have done this for maybe 25 times. It hit me a couple of days ago when I opened my eyes after a night's sleep in my brief reflection of how I was feeling and how I think that night of rest went. I had a little bit of anxiety and then I was flooded with memories of my second pregnancy. My husband at the time and I both wanted another child and here we were freaking out about bringing another life into this world. I had asked some friends of mine who had two children of their own, how is it possible to love another child? If I already love my daughter with all of my heart, what changes? How is this even possible? How do I grow to love another child? The response I got was not all that helpful. I appreciate a little bit of dialogue, but the short answers always were, it just happens. Or you just do. And to that point, yeah, sure, it just happened. Room was made. Um, And it can be such an overwhelming and even suffocating-like experience But we did and we do. We grew in all ways to love our second daughter, to care for another child, and to promise to do our absolute best, even in the absolute worst of times. We carried that promise. My next guest, Lynn Keen, also grew with the birth of each of her children. I'm certain of that. But my God... When one of those children is lost, it's overwhelming and suffocating in a different way. Lynn shares her story of growing, of rising, of climbing through the absolute worst of times after losing her son, Daniel, to suicide. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, the time that you're dedicating. So I uh, know we had some time to connect uh, via email as well as, um, you know, just the few moments before I hit record. I discovered you and your um, story of of Daniel through uh, my sports psychology class. I saw your TEDx talk and um, I really wanted to connect with you. You have um, a great story that is, um, you know, more than worth sharing. Um, it, it can save lives. 
for sure. Um, and I just want to use this time to talk through your own journey, um, you know, how you've developed your advocacy in um, honor and memory of, of Daniel and um, what is next on the horizon for you, uh, not just professionally, but also uh, through sport as well. Thank you. Lots to go over there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure we could spend hours on that. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind just taking, you know, a minute or two to just, you know, t give me, you know, a, a little bit about yourself and um, yeah. Well, I live here in, uh, in Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, uh, Canada. Um, and, uh, you know, I, raised three fabulous children uh, that I'm very proud of and good humans, I guess is probably the best way to put it. And, um, you know, live with my husband, Bruce. And, um, you know, we were a family of five for a lot of years. And in 2009, April 28th of 2009, um, we were blindsided. Um, our son, our 23 year old son died by suicide on that day at our cottage. Um, it, you know, for our, you know, for what we can remember, it just came out of nowhere. Um, it clearly came out of something, long seeds of, of, of depression and anxiety and uh, just a variety of factors that led to a, a terrible day. Um, and I think the, the shock was so significant that I, I even in the early moments, I, I just thought, because I would have had no idea. Uh, and it wasn't until later that day that I actually recognized that he actually had taken his life. Um, I, I thought my first thought was if he was in that much pain, you know, what could I say, but I, that I love you. And I, uh, you know, not that I can ever necessarily understand, but I can certainly, I, the pain is knowing that your child is, it, it was, that was my pain is knowing that your child was suffering to such a degree that, that, that hope was gone. And I, I think really, you know, you'd asked earlier that that's really probably the first things that propelled me to start speaking out very loudly because I thought if this happened to this family who, you know, was tight and we did everything together and we, we you know, so we were, we were just this great bond. Um, this could happen to anybody. And, and it's, it's not just a phrase It actually, you just don't know what's going on in the house beside you or, or down the street, or it was just, you know, I think up until that point, I, you know, we, we all have challenges and our family had challenges and, you know, we didn't always get along, but we, we were tight. And there was this, this um, thread of love that um, just as a mom, just, you know, was, I, I couldn't ask for, for anything else. So when that was broken, it was really a question of um, how, how, how do we start again? And, and do we want it? Like, what, what does that even, I don't think I can again. Like, I just, it's so overwhelming that there's, people can't help you because they're, they're trying to help from inside the, from outside the fire and you're in it and they just cannot do anything. It's, we don't have like language for grievers. We don't know how to care and, um, you know, look after them in their, in their weakest and their, 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 you know, their, their most vulnerable state. And I think that I learned. And, um, you know, I also recognized that we weren't alone and, when I got healthy, um, my own emotional health had sort of took a huge hit. When I came back to kind of living, I, I made a promise to Daniel that I, and myself that if, that if I could share his story so that another young person might see themselves, 
then, then that was what I had to do. And so I, you know, again, it's kind of an organic process. You don't really, you know, you know, after you lose somebody decide, okay, next day I'm going to do this. It's, it was years of, um, you know, I started writing first and that's kind of what got me out there was writing. And I think the writing led to, you know, people saying, would you speak to our group? We have a small group of people or we have this, or we have that, or would you speak at a university or a college? And I really enjoyed being with young people because it was like, I couldn't, as close as I was to Daniel, as close as all of our family was, and effectively it was still are, we couldn't save him because we didn't have the education and understanding that is so much better today, but we still, we still have stigma and we still have a lot of challenges, uh, particularly during this pandemic, that um, it just, I don't know, just I, I, losing my train of thought, but I just kind of decided that this was what I had to do and this would be my mission. And so for the past over 10 years, I've been on a mission. Uh, yeah, as you said to me earlier, there's certainly a lot there. Um, I can absolutely um, agree with that, that family type of, um, like that, those, those woven threads. And it's, it's like that sweater, when one of those threads gets pulled, it all starts to unravel. Um, what was that process for you like? And it, you as an individual weren't just grieving, um, you had other people, your, your threads around you um, that, that you certainly needed to, you know, care for as well as they for you. Like, how did, um, how did you, I don't want to say fully heal, but how did you, how did you all pick up and, and move forward, you know, in, to keep that promise? You know, it's, it's, it's such a, uh, and, and depending on the day that you would ask that question, it's all very different because um, the loss of a loved one is, a, is an ever-changing, like the grief continues to change and morph even, even. In, you know, you needed to move forward, whatever forward really meant. Um, and you not only needed to grieve as an individual, but as a family, and then each of the individuals in your family needed to grieve as well. Um, and I recognize that, you know, grieving is not a linear process. Um, you bounce all over the place. Um, so how did, you know, how did you all come to a point where you were moving forward with, you know, a, a promise to carry on a, a legacy really? So to answer your question, I think um, grief is, and, the, and as you said, it's not a linear process. The, the grieving is a lifelong process, really. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the beginning and you've never, you've never had such a magnificent loss, such a horrific tragedy, you, it's, it's days and days and days of just, like none of us, we really, like moving forward wasn't even part of what we thought of initially. It was really just getting through the morning. Uh, I could hardly wait to the end of the day so I could just go to sleep again. Like you don't really, you're not living, you, you're existing in a state. I think there's just, um, I think I said it earlier for me personally, um, I had to, I had to start to figure out what happened to Daniel before I could move forward. I couldn't, I couldn't 
um, find a, a pathway to my future if I couldn't understand what he dealt with and how, because I, because I couldn't be compassionate and, and um, help him in his journey of depression and anxiety, because I didn't know that's what he was suffering from. I felt like the least I could do was figure out why, and then maybe in time, I mean, in the beginning, I certainly wasn't thinking about sharing. And so I think for me, just as a personal note for, for, for me to move forward, I had to understand what had happened and I had to see his trajectory. And then the more information that I got, and I had such fabulous uh, medical professionals who gave of their time to either talk to me or point me in the direction of literature so that I could start to put things together. And honestly, that was hopeful for me because at least in the sense I did, we didn't have the ability to save Daniel, but what we did have was we started to understand what he had dealt with and we could understand all of the little things that had led up to that day. And I think, you know, the other things that we, we did collectively, cause we, we, it's hard to help each other who, when you're all grieving the same loss. So we, we would set aside time every night to watch something funny. Like literally that's, we watched 30 rock like incessantly. <laughs> so that's, that made us laugh. Like it was just this um, Saturday Night Live because Daniel would, you know, he used to do those dialects that we'd be on the floor. And so we'd, we sort of slowly kind of, um, kind of sort of, you know, from this sort of, if you think of like a bomb being let off in your family room to kind of just sort of slowly going back to pick up the pieces together. And that's, there, there, it was just, it's such a, really, it's actually this, it's quite a beautiful thing to watch people come back from. Like it's a real picking up of each other, but it takes a long time to, to um, and then also, you know, because then anytime anybody goes out of the house, you're like, where are they? You know, sure. call me, it, it, you know, you, and you cannot, you know, our, my daughter was 15 and 21. They can't live like that. Like, you know, and then they would be the same, like, where are you going? Or what are you doing? So there's this built-in fear that we started, that we had. So we had a lot of, uh, a lot of baggage we had to kind of really personally work through and we all did some counseling um i did a lot of reading a lot of reading and my husband as well just just to understand other people's stories not necessarily ours you know not necessarily lost from suicide but just just loss and and how how they made it through the other side so i would say to your listeners it's it's a ever-evolving going backwards two steps going a half a step and then as the years go on I wrote this in the book was basically the very last uh, paragraph I said time heals grief remembers and that really to me is that's the way I can sum it up it's just you need the benefit of time yeah uh, thank you for for all of that um I that was one thing that I I pulled out and I have in quotes time heals and and grief remembers um and you know there's a <clears throat> you have to, I imagine, get to a point where you're accepting of that. Um, and, you know, my question to you is, I, I would think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that that acceptance not only weighs a little heavy, but also is so incredibly freeing that it might feel a little light um, in a way. Um, I, and I think, and you can certainly correct me that, you know, by through the process of writing, um, that can be such, if you allow it to be an intimate process, um, to 
help you work through things, um, you know, move through whether it's forward or backward in, you know, a, a grieving process and personal development that, um, that was such a, a, a huge thing for you. And I think that your, your writing, your style of writing is, is just very beautiful and, and touching. Thank you. The letters that you wrote, um, I've always found letters to certain people and then letters to self are so incredibly powerful. Um, you know, what was your original intent in, in writing those letters? Um, you know, just if you could talk a little bit about that. So the, the letter uh, that I think you're speaking of that is in the book, the, the letter the, that's a letter to Daniel. Yes. That, uh, <clears throat> that was from a, um, a journal that I did have uh, sort of the days after the, the grief counselor said to me, um, can, you, can you put your thoughts, can, can you write a letter to Daniel? Mm. Can you share how upset you are or how angry if that's the feeling or whatever? And I was like, oh, that just seems so like, because in, in, in a, for the early, you know, early uh, tragedy, you're, you, you still think they're coming in the door. You still hear something, like you hear a lock, the lock turning, you, you think, oh, they're coming in. So there, there's this, what do they call that? Um, magical thinking, you're, you're, you're sort of in disbelief still. Anyway, she said, start, like write a letter. And it, it's interesting because in that letter, I was the, the only time I've ever actually gotten I was angry at it, but I, I, when I say angry, I like, it was really as honest. It was as if Daniel, Daniel was going to read the letter. It was a letter to my son saying, did you ever think, consider on that day that, you know, you couldn't have reached back to us? Well, what's also interesting is when I wrote that, I've learned so much even more. And when you were in that suicidal state, that suicidal ideation that is, it, it can last for just a few moments. We, we physically couldn't get to him. I, I, I feel very strongly that because I had talked to him all day, he called me about four or five times that day. So we were in contact. If we'd have been able to reach to him, he could still be with us. But I think it's that he was able to set himself apart physically, like space wise. So we were about two hours from him and um, everything just became a moment of relief for him that the pain would end. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm getting emotional, so I'm kind of thinking, um, trying to put your question into the, into the context to, to answer it for your listeners is, um, do you want to repeat part of it? Cause I think I've got a, I've lost a bit of it. No, I, I really think you, you answered it. Um, even with you just being emotional in general, I think, you know, my, my question really was, you know, the, the, the intent behind writing the letter. Um, I, I, I had to. And it's interesting because that was the only time that I ever felt a need to, to say, I'm, I'm upset. Like, this is not, what do we do? Like, you know, and it, again, I know so much more now, obviously, but it, it was authentic. And I think it, the words still remain the same as like, what are we supposed to do without you? Like you really were our glue in a lot of ways. He, he it's so interesting how he was, but anyway, um, and, the, and then the other letter, um, but the other, also part of that letter was also like this remembrance of seeing his food still in the fridge, like the week he died. And I was like, ah, I can't, I can't move it. I can't, or making his 
birthday dinner, which we had just done in March, he was always, um, for his birthday, we'd always make these certain things. And he'd say, don't worry about it, mom, I'll, because he was such a great cook. He said, I'll, I'll just, I'll come home and I'll make the meal. You just get the stuff. And so I was his sous chef. And I remember making that last dinner birthday meal. And it's just like, how do you, how do you um, manage a world without a person that you brought into this world? I mean, it's, mm. it's so out of the order of the way our life, how life is. And um, anyway, he, he, um, that, that was that letter to Daniel. The other letter was a uh, year, many years later when I really had a handle on that part of my grief journey, sort of like four or five years in. Um, and then I just kept adding to it. And then as things would change or I get opportunities and, and, and one part of that letter, um, a letter to, um, to myself understanding suicide was that TEDx talk um, the, the, the students were invited to speak to a counselor after I spoke in the event that they, anything triggered them. That was sort of said in prior to me speaking. Oh, when great. I finished, they were going up the each side of the stadium to, to talk to counselors. And I was standing there, you know, and I was, Daniel, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, this was just, you know, and when you're doing a TEDx talk, you, you don't have notes or you have no notes. You have nothing. You're just like, literally you've, it's your, you, you feel something so strongly that it's there and obviously rehearse it. But I just kept seeing, they, they kept flashing pictures of him that I had on this, this deck. And it was like, he was giving me strength. It was just like this, okay, here we go. For the, I can do this. You know, he, he continues to touch all of us uh, in ways that are um, quite, uh, quite significant. And it's hard to describe them. Um, I, I don't know. This was one of the questions I, I had sent to you before. And I, I don't know if his birthday meal was his signature dish, but, um, but, but what, what was his signature dish? So I wrote down a few things here. So he, cool. he loved prosciutto wrapped asparagus. That was his, like, he just, that was one of the things he'd made for us. He, he was really I, not a seafood eater or fish eater, but he would make sea bass that I would eat actually, cause it was so good. Um, but ribeye steak, Greek potatoes, anything that was comfort food and anything that had bacon. He was, the, <laughs> he was like the Al Roker of our house. He ate bacon. He was a bacon eater. <laughs> so, That's so great. I just, um, you know, I'd say to him like, why are you eating so much bacon? <laughs> but he, he, there was such a level of um, joy and lightness when he, because he moved away because he was going to school. And uh, when I knew he was on this way, his way home, I made sure this, the fridge was stocked because he also had, um, he had anaphylaxis, right? So correct, yeah. food was a big deal in our house, but in a, in a good way, because we, from a very uh, little boy, we basically started eating the way he ate. So I didn't, it was not, there's no distinction. We all ate the same food. So when he got older and he could, you know, he had the, these great ideas. And so he'd come home and say, or call me and say, okay, can you get this? And, but then once he would say to me, no, mom, listen, I'm going to come home. I'm going to grab you. We're going to go to the store together. It's like, <laughs> I just, it's just, you know, I felt and continue to feel that I was one of the luckiest mothers alive. Cause I just had, you know, I had such a, a terrific bond on earth and who knows where, you know, where we'll meet again. But, um, and I think that's probably why I speak out and I've been doing it for so long is I just, nobody should have to do this. No, no family should have to not see the future of one of their, you know, their siblings. And, you know, and I watched the girls and everything that 
we do is tinge with a, a little bit of sadness. You know, Amy got married in, in um, September and, you know, it was a very small wedding, <laughs> but, um, it, you know, it's, it's, you recognize when you even have joyful moments that he's not present. Like there's yeah. always a reminder that he's not there. So it's, but you carry on because um, you, you recognize that he would want that. He would be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, congratulations to Amy and your whole family. That's very exciting. Um, small or not, it's still something to certainly celebrate. <laughs> exactly. No, we, we felt very blessed. And it was on a, a rooftop patio of a hotel in Brooklyn in September. Oh, in the winter. wow. We had New York City gleaming in the distance. It was, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful day. It was a really beautiful day. That's so, that's so wonderful. Very cool. Yes. I, I love New York city. Um, so you talked about, um, you know, how as a family, once you got to a point, you, um, were able to maybe find a little bit of joy through, um, some comedy and some, you know, reflection and you healed a little bit through, you know, therapy and your writing and how did, and does sport kind of fit into the picture? Um, Cause I know you've done five Bostons. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I, I said this before, that's kind of no joke. Um, <laughs> and you did an Ironman in yeah. Lake Placid, which I love Placid, um, yeah. beautiful course, amazing accomplishment. Uh, so how did that, you know, kind of add to the, the complement of, of really support services to, to get you to where you are today? Oh, that's such a good question. I think, um, we, you know, earlier when we weren't, when we, before, um, before we were live, I think the fact that we are athletes helps us through this, helping us through a little bit this pandemic, right? I think because it's, it's like a natural thing to move our body, get our mind focused into something and truly, the act of using my body to propel me forward one's like step at a time was how I managed. And if I, because I had been, um, I had been running for about 10 years at the time. Um, and, and those are like probably pushing up on my fastest years, sort of mid to late of that. And so two days after we were sitting in the house and I, I said, I've got to get out of the house. I've got to, I've got to just get out and move my body. And I started running and my husband Bruce uh, said, I'll, I'll follow you in the car. And I, so, okay. So he did. And then I, I, I said, you know, let me run, you know, after I was out there for a bit, cause I just, I needed to just wail. And I, I, I'm much better processing my sadness, my, my just internal yearning. I'm much better doing that alone. And I, I so I just needed to wail at the, the sky and, and, you know, just, you know, get Daniel to support me. And I just, I just needed those sort of very personal moments on my own. And, and so, but it was the act of running that actually is what I, what I was doing. And so I just kind of carried on doing like, you know, I'd go out for three or four K and I had a couple of really, really dear running friends who, who, you know, I said earlier, people didn't really know what to do. There was a few people that really sort of supported our family. They kind of knew what to do. And mm. these running people basically showed up. They texted me or called and said, we're coming. They didn't give me a choice. 
And they said, we don't even have to run, but we're going to come and get you. That's great. So, you know, I didn't really want to be out there. But then all of a sudden we're running. And so, and that particular friend, Janet Shaughnessy, I don't know, six months, we were running together, you know, at post losing my son and, and she came up with the idea. She goes, well, what if we could go back to Boston? Great. That was in 2009. And then we qualified in 2010 and went in 2011. <laughs> so that was like, I look at it, if you think of it, the, you know, the, the, I think whatever it is that you need to, that really uh, speaks to you, whether it's moving your body, whether it's writing, whether it's playing a, an instrument, painting, you gotta, you gotta go to it because that's, that is a place of peace. And so I think that's for all of us when we're um, in our trials, we just have to, because there's joy in that, that you can find joy in the, in the hardest places you can find joy. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I absolutely love that. Um, you do have to go to that and moving your body, whether, you know, to your comment, whether it's, you know, physically taking those steps forward or, you know, you're engrossed in creating something with your hands um, or, you know, even, um, you know, singing, right? So any, anything in which you're involving um, your, your whole body can be really purifying. And you, you can, through that process, find that meditative flow state. And you're so incredibly focused that I think um, there's, there's healing in, in that for sure. Those are some good friends, Lynn. Yeah, those are, you know, I, I still see them from time to time. We don't run any uh, together. Not everybody's running as much, but you know, I, it was just such this gift, you know, and then I could come home and um, I, I don't know if you want me to go, go there, but I have a short story about finishing. Um, I was training for uh, a, mar a local marathon to like to qualify with a, with a friend and um, on my last long run, um, you know, we wished each other well and, and uh, came home. And then a few days later, you know, we, we heard the news of, of losing Daniel. And the race was about two weeks later. And of course, I couldn't do a marathon. But somehow, I knew in my heart that I just needed to get to the start line. And so I think I took myself there. I can't, even, you know, it's kind of foggy now. But anyway, I got to the start line. And it was so different. It was like, like I was watching everybody, you know, talking and, you know, just like just up before the, in the music and everything. And then I kind of just like let myself get into that flow with everybody. Like I, I, I wasn't able, you know, you don't turn off your pain, but you're able to shift it. Yep. And I ran one of my fastest half marathons and it was just because I was just, I was just totally immersed in the movement. It was, it was, I, you know, I was crying. I was praying. I was, but coming down that last couple K felt like any normal day. Like it felt like a, it felt like a normal race. If I could um, say that it felt because, because I had shifted myself to such a space for a period of time, um, you know, and very shortly thereafter, you know, the world came right back to me, but it, I, I allowed myself. So that, like you said earlier, I think that allows for some healing when, you know, it, it's, it's incremental, but, every time you cry is a healing act. And then I think it takes you to the next place. Right. And so, um, I got home that day. Um, and my, and Bruce, Bruce and I grieved completely opposite. Like, so it was really, it was, it was almost uncomfortable to see each other in, in, in the pain. So, 
we weren't a heck of a lot of help for each other. I have to be, you know, it's like we, we tried our best, but we just, um, notwithstanding people would say, oh, don't worry, your marriage will last. I'm like, well, I'm not even thinking about that, but I guess, you know, thank you for telling me that. But I didn't even Right, sure. Let me write that down. Hold on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I will remember that. Um, but I just, I, I think because I could be alone and I could be in my thoughts and I could just sort of see Daniel, I could hear his voice in my head. I, it was like this little gift on this, on that race day. So I was really buoyed mentally, physically. We drove home in the car and Bruce was very solemn and very quiet. And I thought, Oh, I don't have any place to put this kind of, I don't want to, how can I be happy when you're not like I, so I just, you know, kind of, we drove home and, and, uh, I said, I want his note. And I went into, I got his note and I went in the truck and I read his note. I hadn't read it up until that date. I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the, whatever I knew I needed something to steal me from his words. And I got in his truck, sat in his truck. And of course it still smells like him. And it's like this old, old, old truck with this old leather smell. And um, that whole joy, that whole, uh, you know, euphoria I felt after the race was uh, quickly shattered, but but, you know, when I think about it now, it's like, it was an act of courage, like, but you needed to do something to get there. You know, I, I hadn't have been able to do it prior to, to, to putting myself out there and, and pretty vulnerable. Like you're, you're, you're still pretty physically and emotionally raw. You, you are, you're not pretty, you are raw. And I think that just, that just gave me some, um, it just it filled me up enough to have the strength to read his last words and just, you know, it just made me sick to know that he felt bad. And it's just like, you know, and I think that's the thing that I I take away and I I tell young people is you are not your condition. You know, and Daniel, because of his allergies, his asthma, and then, you know, sort of early adult um, depression and and he he was never diagnosed because we didn't have the benefit of understanding. But all his struggles were upfront struggles. So all those years, right? He had them so young, he didn't have the benefit of maturity to realize like these are challenges, but I can get past them. And I say to especially young guys, like it may suck right now, but I, honestly, like there, there, there's so many paths, you know, besides losing yourself in self-hate and um, you know, just, you, you are not your struggle. So, uh, but again, that's hindsight. Um, yeah, I, I, and I'm just processing so much. I, I know you mentioned your own vulnerability and, and do you think this is purely, you know, just us speculating really that there's a, there's even more of a, a stigma or, or more of a burden on, you know, a male being vulnerable and coming forward and saying, I need some help. These are my struggles mm-hmm. versus, you know, a woman who, you know, the, you know, in theory, um, you know, a, a softer side, more emotional, it's almost expected that more women or more females will come forward and say, I am struggling. I need help. Um, do you think that, you know, any of that is, is at play? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The, it's, it's um, whether, wherever you live, the statistics are going to be different, but by far men um, will attempt and complete suicide at such a greater rate than I don't have statistics um, for your area or, or even for me, because there's always changing. Um, 
but women will attempt more. So, but, but their means are different. And so the, yeah. the, the means are, 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 are substantially stepped up um, and maybe more, um, more deadly means with young men, especially, um, you know, you're really looking at uh, 18, 17, 18 to 24, 25 is a really, really critical uh, period for, for men. And that was really my, more my focus, but I, you know, so going through it, you recognize like whether it's an eating disorder or it's a, you know, another mental health condition for, for young women, um, they will tend to generally talk about it or talk, talk about their struggles. They don't, there's the stigma isn't quite, isn't the same. Um, how we as um, friends and, and family relate to people though, when they do share their struggle has a big impact on, on, um, on whether they, uh, you know, you know, I look at, I look at Daniel and, and again, our case, he, he was not going to let us in to say, I mean, we, we could, we could see the signs of something. We, and, and finally, when, from a kid who never drank and who was an athlete to going to university and self-medicating, I thought, okay, then something's definitely changed. He lost weight, wasn't sleeping in through the night. There were signs there and, you know, but being told by the medical professionals at the time was, well, Daniel's going to have to seek the help. You can't do it for him. He's over 18. How helpful is that? Like, not at all, not at all. And I mean, I could see that my son was suffering and, you know, so the challenge, there's so many challenges at play for, for, we'll say for young men and for young women, of course, in our case, he's not going to share it. We're trying to reach out for support. And so see, even when a young person does come forward and say, I, I, I can't get up, I can't get up. I, I can't function through the day. I'm having suicidal thoughts. The big issue is how do we get them help? You know, we, there, there, there's so many issues and so many challenges. And right now in this pandemic, trying to get somebody support, um, I guess the upside is, is, is Zoom and, you know, Google meet, meetups and things like that, where it's becoming very normalized to have counseling over the, over the you know, FaceTime, things like that. So in some ways that's a good thing, but um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's still stigmatized when they do come forward, the, the help is, um, it, it's just very difficult to access good care and support. Um, that's affordable, you know, for, yes. for people. And, and in the, you know, black and brown and indigenous communities here in Canada, you know, our numbers are, are lower, but it's the same as is in the U.S. I mean, Correct. Yeah. those, those, you know, these parts of our society are marginalized. And so, you know, we're at a point now where there's so much awareness and it's how do we, how do we not lose people because, through the cracks? Because even now that we, you know, know a lot more than I did, 11 years ago, how do we take that knowledge and put it into real action? I, um, I, I love you noting that, um, there's, there's all this awareness, um, obviously, you know, through, through the course of time, education, you know, resources expanding, albeit not necessarily great, but better than it was the day before. Mm. Um, we have to move forward. Um, there's still a lot of um, questions around, um, you know, how does this get funded? How does help, um, you know, how are our resources um, better organized to, to maybe go out and seek those that might not know help is available? Um, those are the people I think that, um, at least in my experience here, who 
are falling through the cracks. Um, they might not speak up. They might right. still feel like there's a little bit of a, a stigma there. Um, and I, I think your work is really great to focus on, you know, that, that, that particular um, population, be, not just because of course it's, you know, close to, to your heart and, and your own promise, but that's where, you know, the, the help mm -hmm. is, is certainly needed. And yeah. So how are you, how do you feel you're um, changing the conversation? Like how, what, what does a day for, you know, Lynn look like in terms of, um, you know, elevating the education for suicide prevention, you know, to whom are you speaking? What's, what, what does that look like? Um, so interesting Last year, so 20, the pandemic started in February, March. From May, no, from April on 2020, I was inundated with requests to talk. And it was because of the pandemic, because people were recognizing, all ages were recognizing that they just weren't functioning. Yeah. And so they, you know, engaged me to, to obviously share our story, but also to crack open some of the myths and, um, you know, I look at like someone's not functioning properly or they're, they're sort of in a, you know, they're, 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 they're melancholy and they're sad. And those things happen to all of us. It's, it's the, mm -hmm. if that lasts, you know, two, three weeks, that's when you start to maybe um, ask yourself, I shouldn't be feeling like this. This is a very, very strange, very stressful time. And, you know, we can only go outside and run around the corner so much. We can only be told so many times to stay home. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I, I think it's all for public health. Like there's a reason for it. it it's, it's, it's hard on people. And, and, the, and the, you know, we, I look at um, when young people isolate themselves, that's a huge red flag. We are told to isolate ourselves now. Right. We come and, and so, you know, Isol we don't want people to isolate themselves because that's that's not a good thing. The day that we lost Daniel, he had isolated himself from his family. We could not get to him. So I think, you know, it's, it's you know, where we're living in these times is, is I don't even have words for it, but it, I think it just boils down to saying, we understand so much more, as you said. So then uh, we have to look at our neighbor or our friend or our partner and just like, are you okay? Like, what is it we, what, what can I, what can I do for you? Can you share something? Are you, you know, and if you, if you feel like someone is, is, is having suicidal thoughts, ask them because asking somebody is not going to make them take their life. Asking someone may save their life. Um, so that's that. So I'm doing uh, quite a bit of um, Zoom engagements. <laughs> um, I'm doing more writing, um, but I, I think it's, it's just, it's a matter of, um, I was asked to do a piece for uh, youth mental health and suicide, suicide prevention during a pandemic. And I'll tell you, that took, took everything in me to write because I was writing, I stopped, I thought, how do I, how do I actually write about this? This is a different, this isn't just my journey and you know, sort of where I'm at. And this was really, how do I project what, I, what I've learned to help this, this generation, this young generation who is like, being at home, they're on their computers all day. They don't have their buddies. I, I don't like. I, I can't necessarily speak to that. So, 
um, we enlisted some young people to kind of give me some background just on where they were at so that I could truly be authentic because, you know, I, again, and I got a fabulous um, psychiatrist who, who I do work with. Um, and so we ended up with this long form two-part essay. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it was great because, but it, it really tested me on how to, you know, use the experiences that I have and use the understanding that I have now and, and, and bring it to be of support to young people right now um, in 2021. So, you know, I'm doing that. I'm a Lululemon ambassador. So that's, um, that's a different side, but what's really cool is they, I'm not just there because I'm a runner. They also really, um, they've really sort of embraced mental wellness. And so that for me is kind of like a bit of a full circle, full circle moment, just, uh, you know, being able to reach that audience, um, you know, and, and discuss the importance of our mental health. So, and the only other thing I'm doing, which I've got to get my act, because I- The I only, I, the only the, other thing, right. Only that, other thing. <laughs> just one more thing. <laughs> that's probably why I'm not getting to it. Really, that's probably why. I have learned to, I'm starting to meditate, um, like not just as in running, but just sort of stop in the day and take five, 10 minutes and just like, just lie down, meditate. Um, and I'm slowly getting, uh, sort of transitioning some of the uh, work I'm doing right now to, to be able to take more time just to do, I'm, I'm in the beginning stages of writing another book. So I really need to focus on that. <laughs> that's really great. Yeah. Are you, um, if I could ask you a couple of questions about meditating, um, are you doing, are you using any apps? Have you read any books? What are you, how are you approaching that? So Christina, you'll love this. Upstairs, I've got about four books I haven't cracked on meditation. Cool. <laughs> Over the years, I just, oh, well, that one looks really good. That will, that will be the start. So now I ended up uh, meeting this meditation coach last summer and, uh, when it was, you know, we sat outside her backyard and she kind of started me on that journey. Yeah, cool. And it's amazing how distracted I was, you know, we're, it's an hour and we're sitting there and she takes me through three different meditations and I'm, but I, you know, having somebody help you is a huge, I really think you, certainly the apps are helpful. I really think they're helpful and I use them now like all the time, but at least I had a little bit of coaching to be able to the breathing the breath work is so important. Um, how you sit, how you let go of things. There's just a lot of cueing that a coach can do that I, I think you can't necessarily do on your own. So that would be, I'd say a tip. That's my hack for today is you should have a meditation coach. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I feel the same way about um, yoga as well. And of course I'm, I'm biased towards both of those um, disciplines, but you know, it's, there's, there's so much to be said for, um, you know, reading a book or checking out an app and, you know, kind of getting some basics and rolling with that, but it's a completely different and very literally enlightening, um, process to sit with somebody else who is an expert. Yeah. Um, and I know expert is not actually the right label that you need to put on a meditation coach because they will always say they have a beginner's mind. There's no such thing as an expert in meditation. Um, but having someone who can just like you, you said, coach you, walk you through a couple different meditations and then talk about it afterwards is so yeah. helpful. And then just send you on your way. 
Yeah. It's, it's great. The, so my, the coach um, said to me the last time I saw her was um, I'm going to leave you with three things. One is you have to just do a short meditation, even just like a gratitude meditation every day, which I, that has, that has given me so much um, has taken away so much angst because when I, when I, think and, 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 um, you know, give sort of really helpful and positive thoughts to people that I'm not necessarily in, in good relationship or in a relationship with or strangers or the greater world. I feel like I'm doing something like, I feel like it takes it off of me and I've actually put something out there positively. And so that is, is like my pretty much daily go-to, um, in when I'm out, I'll always just do a gratitation meditation. Um, she said, do, do one meditation with gratitude a day, do something for yourself every day, like for yourself, not for someone else, but you like doing it, just do it for yourself. And then the other one was, um, oh gosh, I can't remember now. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it was, it was gratitude. And then I think it was just to do like a, a full on meditation once a day. So and she says, if you don't do it every day, then don't, you know, don't be mad at yourself. Just do what you can do. But what you'll find is the more you do, it builds on itself and then you'll look to be doing it. Right. So yeah. Building absolutely. a muscle. Training the mind like you train your body. It's exactly. Yes, absolutely. I I have one, I, I have two questions for you. Just just two more. Yeah, one yeah. is what does hope mean to you? You talked about hope earlier. What does that mean to you? Um it's a really good question. For me, hope is about getting up and looking forward and looking ahead and feeling that there's so much that, that you still have left to do. And in as a as a mom who lost her son um, to suicide, I feel like if I can be hopeful about the future, I, like I, I, I can feel joy and I can feel, and I know hope, hope is what my son lost that day. Mm-hmm. I wake up and for the most part, I wake up hopeful about that day and hopeful what, about possibilities of what, what's next. And I, I, I never want to lose that. I never want to not think about what are the possibilities and, you know, what are things that we can add to this place called the world or earth? Um, we still have things to do. So I think hope is looking forward really. I, there's a, a, a shine in your eye. I think you'll always have hope, but you know, sometimes you're just going to have to work a little bit harder for it. Yeah. That's, that's life. Yeah. Right? And, and every day's not perfect. I mean, uh, yeah, every day's, uh, you know, there, there's t- some, some days can be rougher anniversaries and birthdays, but um, I'm at a point where I feel like, um, the, the, it's interesting, the further we get away from the last day we were together, I actually feel like he's closer to me. Mm. Thank you. So that's, that's my joy. <laughs> I love your joy. I wish you nothing but joy and hope. Last question. What are you reading right now? Oh, I am reading. Oh, it's upstairs. Um, what's it called? First of all, I'm, I'm, 
I am obsessed about climbing books. Oh. Everything to do with either ice climbing, um, like alpine, alpinists, whether they're out in, uh, you know, doing K2 or the Everest. Um, but this one is on rock climbing Yosemite. And it's um, oh. a guy who uh, free soloed El Captain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh. Can I send you the name of the book? Yes. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes and probably notes. buy it myself. <laughs> I, I have an, obs- I have an obscene amount of climbing books and it's funny. I, it's funny. It's, it's weird. Um, you know, a lot of things uh, in my life kind of revolve around the day before Daniel passed and the day after, and it's just kind of an odd, um, you know, the way my brain works, but Prior to, to, to losing him, I was into these climbing books and, and I don't know why, whatever possessed me. And my, my running buddy, Janet, who I spoke of earlier, she was also, so we compare notes on a run. And then it was like, oh, I can't go there anymore because I was reading those books at that time and look what happened, you know, kind of like almost like, a, it, it, I think it was more just that whole period of my life I needed to block out. And then recently I've come back to them and I'm just at night, like just can't, you know, uh, you know, with their you know, sheltering down for the night on the side of a mountain. I just I feel like I'm there. So um, maybe one day. <laughs> so Lynn, that that's you. You just have a different mountain. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's uh, maybe if you don't mind, maybe I can use that in this um, uh, book, this book of the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're climbing your own mountain for sure. Um, you're yeah. You're definitely a climber. Yeah, Thank I'll you. That. Yes, please. That. Thank you so, so, so much for your time. I, um, I, I appreciate your, um, your connection sharing, uh, not just with me, but with everybody, um, Daniel's story and the importance of, um, you know, suicide prevention. It's, as I said, it, it's incredibly important. And, um, I'm sorry for your, for your loss and for, you know, your, your family's loss, but to, to that point, you even mentioned it yourself that that was really an opportunity to help others. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're paying something forward that, um, is just, um, it's just really huge. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the time. I think, um, that last letter that I wrote, at the very bottom, I, I said, when all is lost, you'll start over. Yes. And that is hope. To me, that is exactly what hope is. That is hope. I shared that quote with my girlfriends and they were um, just enamored with it. I, it's, it's really perfect. Well, it was a pleasure to chat with you this afternoon. You too. <laughs> Please keep in touch with me. Yes. Yes. And I look forward to listening. Take care. Thanks for listening, friends. That was an incredible story and one that takes certainly a lot of bravery for Lynn to share. Check out the show notes. I will link out to the book that Lynn is currently reading. The two letters that I referenced in the conversation. I'll also post the link to her TEDx talk. Educate yourselves. Know some of the warning signs. Don't be afraid to ask anybody if they need help. Say hi. How are you doing? Check in with people. Let them know you're thinking about them. Today matters, friends. Today matters. Thanks for listening. 
to the Swims Cancelled Podcast.